Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 84 of DN Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my wild shape companion, Ben Bumphopper. That's that's a really interesting introduction for that, but I mean, it fits for what we're going for. I mean, I you, you wasn't exactly me, sure what I was going to say, so you could have gone Holy of, Crusader. Yeah, that would be another good one. Could have gone with uh, uh, my favorite player backstory, or I don't know, something something like that. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up at this point. But anyways, hi Ryan, how you doing? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a that's a that's a teaser for what we're gonna talk about. Oh my goodness! See, this is what happens. Any of that stuff. I don't this know is what, what I. This about. is what happens when I don't actually write down what I'm gonna say exactly in my little prompter. So hey, I, you know what? I it, am doing well. It's more natural. Well. It's more surprising. You never know what's gonna happen. It's, it's, it's great. Very, it's very surprising. I'm a fan of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I am doing well. I just got back from watching Ant Man. Which oh, was super fun. I super concur. Fun. Totally yeah. concur. Yeah. Uh, so check it out. It was it was actually actually pretty good. Uh, how about yourself? How are you doing? Um, I didn't just get back from watching Ant-Man. I got back from going into the office for the first time in three years. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Not Wayne's World. Anyways. Um. That sounds... <laughs> Yeah, that sounds not fun. Yeah, but uh, overall, no, I'm doing okay. I'm excited to talk about some stuff tonight because, um, I mean, other than the the really quick uh, jump to record tonight, uh, we, we did actually put off recording because some new stuff dropped, some some we, exciting we did. things. We did, uh, and we didn't want it to be like two and a half weeks stale uh, by the time that we got to talk about it. Um, so... We know this is late. Apologies. But we wanted to talk about uh, first off, we, we got a few things we want to talk about. But first off, we wanted to talk about the new one D&D Unearth Arcana playtest yes. that recently dropped after the whole OGL debacle. Thank goodness that's pretty much over. Uh, they are finally back <laughs> with the they kind of they kind of uh, got delayed a little bit, uh, but they're finally back with new playtest material and they dropped uh playtest material for the druid and the paladin classes as well as some updated glossary stuff and also a few videos kind of kind of explaining um before we jump into the actual unearth arcana and kind of our thoughts on that uh they did drop a video on their testing process and survey results and such and just kind of to, to sum it up, they're going to start doing slightly chunkier drops mm -hmm. like every other month is what it sounded like instead of dropping something. And I know we actually talked about this yeah, <laughs> a few episodes ago, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm torn because when you get the big, the bigger, chunkier drops, you get more context which is good, mm -hmm. but it's also a heck of a lot more to have to survey yeah, and to have and much longer uh, play test survey, which I feel like is less good just for the, the fact of people sitting down and actually taking the time mm -hmm. to fill, fill the whole thing out. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. 
Yeah, I mean, it, you know, again, like you said, plus sides or plus side of it is they have a bigger chunk of you know context. They know kind of know what the aim is, what what they're going for for that big chunk, as opposed to you know like maybe like a, a half baked class figured out. You know, the, the it seems like a lot of time and effort was really put into this new one, the the druid and the paladin, and um, I mean because of that. We're able to get a full picture of what they're really going for. And boy, we've got some stuff to talk about with that. We do. We also found out that they have axed the Ardling species. Yes. And that was, I think, uh, I think they determined they were stepping too much on the Asimar's toes. Mm hmm. Yeah, from and what they so, were talking about. And they didn't have, they, they kind of came out of nowhere. They didn't have a lot of context for them. Uh, and so they did They did say that species is not going to be in the new player's handbook, but they might reintroduce them at some point in a book that makes more sense and that adds a lot more lore and context for them with whatever other tweaks they might yeah. bring. I like the new campaign setting Ardalon, where the Ardlings are from. Yes, it's a celestial plane. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that works. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so just uh, just know, be looking forward to that. They also reiterated that while they do look at YouTube videos, listen to podcasts, comb Twitter and such for feedback, uh, and that is all well and good. The best place that you can leave feedback is, as always, the survey. Mm -hmm. So just keep that keep that in mind. Yeah. And of course, whenever those surveys are available, we do put them in our show notes. So definitely, uh, you know, if you listen, you, you try the, out the, uh, the play test or you have thoughts on it, definitely make sure to give your feedback uh, constructively. Yep. And of course we'll have the link to this new, uh, under Arcana in the show notes on dndiscussions.com. Mm -hmm. but let's, let's dive in. Let's dive in a little bit. Um, do cause there's, there's a few big things I want to talk about. Uh, Druid and the Paladin. First off, uh, and then there's a few like glossary tweaks that I thought were kind of interesting that I wanted to touch on as well. Okay, nothing caught my eye, so I'm looking forward to hearing uh, what you found. Um, which class do you want to do first? Uh, so we, we, we've been talking about this a lot, and I know I've given my opinions a little bit in short form on Twitter. Uh, but I feel like this Unearthed Arcana is a lot of is, is very much a good news, bad news type thing. So let's do the bad news first okay. so that we can we can end on a high note. Uh, and, and, <laughs> so we're going to start with the Druid. <laughs> so, OK, the, the, the biggest thing that I found when I saw the changes that they did, I mean, I, I watched the video that they played, you know, what their thoughts were on it and everything like that. Um, but overall, the biggest change the, the 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 thing that caught my eye the most is i mean wild shape obviously it's a big part of being a druid Dude. but if you're not a circle of the moon druid currently it kind of wild shape doesn't really play into it all that much anymore um you you'd really become more of like a utility thing like either hey we need to get places so i'm a giant eagle or I want to try to sneak in and, and scout some area. I'm a little rat, you know, something like those things versus I'm actually transforming into something to, you know, um, to join in on combat or to really, you know, help out or, or explore underwater or, you know, do all these other different things because I mean, you're, you're stuck at like what CR rating of 
two or four or something at the most. And that doesn't give you a whole bunch to work with uh, beast wise. So the biggest change that I saw was like, okay, cool. Um, now it, your wild shape kind of levels with you, assuming you're, you know, doing what druids need to do, which is kind of making sure you're dumping all your, your, uh, potential ability scores into wisdom. Otherwise yeah. you're not going to be all that successful, but I mean, if you're going to be spell casting, you really want wisdom because again, that's where your spell casting modifier and everything comes from. But this is also where your kind of big abilities and stuff as, as your wild shape are coming from, because it's not just, Hey, I want to be a brown bear. Let's look up the stats for that. Instead, it's, I'm going to be an animal type or a land type animal. And then all the stats are completely based off of what you have already, or just, you know, kind of simply what's thrown in front of you. Like for animal, it's, um, uh, strength and dexterity. You use your wisdom score. And then for, uh, con ints, whiz and charisma, you use those scores that you have normally. So, well, so but before we get too deep in, let's give a little bit of context okay. to this. Um, so as, as Ben was just describing, Wild Shape has just switched all up, like completely, completely different. Very. But the base, the base resource for it has also changed dramatically. True. So instead, instead of Wild Shape, Druids are getting this new thing called Channel Nature. And from what they were talking about, their their idea is one, they the and this is the impression I get it. I'm getting from them. Their, their Druid goals seem to be, we don't want Druids to necessarily just be the shape changer. We want them. If people want to play them that like that, great. If people want to play them like the big nature primal force, we want to give them those type of options too. Mm-hmm. So instead they have this brand new resource that encompasses several things called channel nature. And channel nature has limited uses. Um, yeah, I think you can get like one back on a long or a short rest or something like that. And then yeah. it scales as you level. But uh, when you use channel nature, you can wild shape. That is one option. But then there's a few other options too, like a healing option, which I believe is called. Um, oh, gosh. I'm looking for it. It's a very small heal, by healing, the way. healing blossoms. Yeah. Um, and then there's another version of it called wild companion that lets you, instead of you turning into something, lets you summon something. All of this has been streamlined and the goal at the stated goal was accessibility, which is, mm-hmm. is not a bad goal, right? It's, it's no. good to make things accessible. Uh, so instead of picking an animal or picking a stat block, you instead have these three generic stat blocks that sort of kind of scale off your okay. stats, sort of kind of, and I use that generously, or you have a, um, a basically wild companion that is roughly fine familiar, which has been changed slightly. Yeah. And also has generic templated stat blocks. So 
going back to what Ben was saying, that's kind of the context around around the Druid mm-hmm. discussion. So yeah. that now they have these generic stat blocks, animal of the land, animal of the sea, animal of the sky. And you get them uh, at different levels. Um, I believe I, I believe they're fairly similar levels. You get the animal of the land right away, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Wild shape at level one. That's cool. Um, level seven is aquatic form. And level nine is aerial form. And then for some reason, <laughs> level 11 is tiny form, mm-hmm. which lets you transform into a tiny creature for 10 minutes. Yeah, their example was, if you want to be a tiny elephant, you can. Or just a mouse. You can do it, but you can only do it for 10 minutes, and you have to be level 11. Yeah. At least. So, uh, Ben, why don't you you now finish uh, what you were talking about before I rant a little bit? Well, first of all, I, I disagree with you on your interpretation of Tiny Critter. I think it is specifically you you take your wild shape form, you choose any of your forms, but you get to be tiny in that form. So if you want to be but a, it doesn't an animal matter. in the sky, you can be a tiny version of it. Yeah, but I, I mean, it doesn't matter at that point because the stat block is the exact same. Yeah. It's just a tiny version. It's, 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 it, well, think you do half damage. Like, that's the, think that's of it the like, difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, they think of it kind of Ant Ant Man, uh, where he <laughs> maintains some of his power when he shrinks down. Yeah, it feels like what kind of what it's going. For. So, from what I can tell, and like we said, you know, the the idea is accessibility. I also think that balance was kind of put into this, but not really well thought out because when I am level four and I wild shape. I'm going to have the same exact stats when I'm level 19 and wild shape, unless I up my wisdom modifier. That's the only difference there. Cause you know what you do uh, hit wise and everything like that. All of the bonuses are based on your wisdom modifier. It's literally the only way it scales. Yeah. So kind of a bummer there. Um, another big difference from current wild shape is that uh, if you are brought down to zero hit points in your wild shape form, that's it. You're, you're docked out. It's not you revert no to your no more normal form. Points. Yeah. Yeah. You have your own, your, your normal own hit points, your own hit dice. That's, that's everything that's going on there. So in a sense, you don't get, you know, two gigantic free heals of hundreds of hit points. If you, you know, beast shape in or wild shape into like a Tyrannosaurus or something like that. Now it's, yeah, you could be a Tyrannosaurus, but you still only have 50 hit points or something like along those lines. So that's kind of where the balance comes in. But again, it it just it's not all that great. You know, it, it's not a ton of fun. If you're a circle of the moon druid, instead of um, hey, I can turn into elementals now, which it was really cool. Now you just get elemental like extras for your shapes. So I think one of the things that they rec or they recommend was uh, you can be a wolf who is like, you know, like kind of fiery and you get, you get to add like um, a fire attack to your, your just your swipe or whatever you get to add fire damage to it. And I mean, honestly that that's, I mean, a fiery wolf is cool, but again, it's not really doing a whole lot into giving you that 
that really cool, strong feeling of I can turn into the, you know, the masses of animals, you know, from turtle to T-Rex to um, brown bear to whale or, you know, something along those lines. Sure, you can change yeah. into those things, but the stats are the same across the board. It doesn't matter what you do. And it's just, it, to me, it's taking a lot of fun out of that whole experience. The problem is with this, this new druid class, it's all skin deep. Everything, all the coolness is surface level. Like all the coolness is you going, I want to be an owl bear. Cool. Owl bear is a, is using the uh, animal of the land mm -hmm. stat block. And it's, it's generic -y Mick Genericson. Yeah. Like it, there is, there is absolutely it. All of this. One of the coolest things about wild shaping is that all the different animals do different cool stuff. They get different cool attacks. Like my druid in one of my campaigns turned into like a, a rocktopus, which is like the this rocked octopus. He gets these cool tentacle attacks and can mm -hmm. constrict and do all those, do, do all sorts of cool stuff like that. Like that does not exist. If you look at these stat blocks. Yeah. If, if you turn into it, that, you get um, two bestial strike attacks. Yeah. Like animal of the land. It's basically... 10 armor plus your wisdom modifier, which means none of the AC of any of this stuff could ever go past 15. Mm -hmm. You gain climb speed at fifth level. Oh joy. You get some dark vision and then you get a beast attack. And then at fifth level, you get two beast attacks. That's mm -hmm. literally it. And that basically copy pace for both the animal of the sea and the animal of the sky, not to mention you're still using your hit points, like you said, and druids do not have the biggest health pools. So you are getting like, you are losing a massive, massive amount. Not only mm -hmm. do you not get to you, not only do you not get the flavor of all the individual beasts beyond just, I look like an owl bear. I can't do any of the things an owl bear can do but I look like an owlbear. So I guess that's kind of cool, but it's not, it is not cool. It is not cool when something is visual only. Yeah. You have to back it up with fun. And these are not fun. They are just, they are not, they are not fun. There, there are so many better ways that you could do this system off the top of my head. If you need to balance the, the, the crazy hit points, make them temp hit points instead of being healable. Yeah. So at the very least, you can't heal the person while they're in animal form because you can't heal 10 points. Boom. That nerfs it some, but doesn't like absolutely destroy wild shapes ability to help keep you alive or kind of tank for your group. Number two, if you want to stick with generic templates, then you need to offer a good amount of customization. Sure. Offer some base templates, but then say, pick two. You get to pick the, and then offer like a nice table of different attacks, a tail sting, a tentacle, you know, just there's a bite, like a, a, like a, a, a pack attacks tactics. Like there's, 
so many different things that come from beasts, which is the thing that actually gives them the fun and the flavor. At the very least, the templates need to offer you places to slot in those cool things so you can customize to the situation because that's why wild shaping is cool. There are tons of different stat blocks that are useful in multiple situations. Sure, there are some stat blocks that have a good chunk of health. If you just need to soak up stuff, fine. That's great. But there are certain things when like, I've been in place, like uh, someone turned into a huge bow constrictor so they could grapple a dude and mm -hmm. keep them from get who was mainly melee and keep them from getting to the rest of our party. Yeah. And he did, and it was awesome. And he had those temporary hit points so he could kind of take some of that damage before he died. Whereas in this case, he never could have done that. And even if he became an animal for a tiny bit of extra damage, he would have died <laughs> when those hit points ran out. Yeah. Uh, I was in a campaign where a druid turned into a giant spider to walk up the wall and lay a web trap. You can't do that as just a generic animal. You know, it, it, you don't get all those specializations like you were saying. And I mean, even the, 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 the circle of the moon druids on top of that too, like turning into those elementals is a huge thing that you can do. It's, it's and literally they, the exact same problem. Yeah. And they've taken the it elementals away. have awesome stuff. You can earth glide mm -hmm. with an earth elemental. Yeah. Like you've got the, the, the thing that pulls you in with the, the wind elemental, you've got the knockdown knockback with the water elemental. Um, it's there's, there's so many thing, cool things inside the elemental stat block. And that's just the base elementals, not to mention if you let people use more custom elementals that might even be more unique or mm -hmm. more interesting. And so, and again, the visualization of fire wolf or ice owl or something, or, you know, or something like that is really cool. But the stat blocks, again, are just as generic as can be. It's like, I am this freaking amazing elemental fire wolf. I get resistance to fire damage and I do just a little bit of extra fire damage oh, no. when I'm I do my attacks. I'm rereading it. You're replacing it with fire damage. So it's not bludgeoning or slashing or whatever. On, and then you get a little bit of extra fire. No, it's just fire. Oh, it just, it, it it's, just, it's it, not it, enough. It makes me, it makes me mad. It makes me mad. This is like, <laughs> like I, again, I get what they're trying to do, mm -hmm. but I don't understand how, how someone could have looked at this and gone, this is fun. This is accessible. Yes. Which accessibility again, very good thing, but just because something is accessible, it doesn't mean it has to be generic. It doesn't have to mean mm -hmm. it's not fun exactly i i would prefer i mean um in our strict saving campaign i played a druid and yeah i would pull up the monster list on uh D, D beyond put my you know what my challenge rating level would be and then do beast and then look to see what i could potentially turn into it it made sense it worked i was happy with that um the same deal with uh again going back to circle of the moon circle of the moon at a certain point you're able to uh, do uh, challenge ratings that are like way higher 
than you know just like the level four or, or whatever it is that you're stuck at because again you're you're the circle of the moon druid the whole point is transforming with this again that's not part of it it, it doesn't add any sort of accentuating to the druid class so like as a subclass is just a, a big bummer on top of a class that has also turned into kind of a bummer yeah like i love i love that they are branching out as far as the i think the um what's it called the nature uh channel nature i think that's i think that's actually pretty cool i mm-hmm. think it's cool to give druids who don't really care about wild shaping a little more to do with that type of power i think yes. that's cool that's cool but again and i don't want to you know stay on this too much longer but i was talking to somebody uh about this on twitter not only are you losing a lot of that let's talk about tiny critter again you literally cannot become a mouse until level 11 druids use small forms squirrels mice spiders whatever scouting hiding like the all these things are super cool things that they can do to try and even out of combat pull off cool stuff yeah and see, Heiss, i'm like I'm, anything like that i'm but still the, reading the, it differently than you i'm i'm still going with you have a normal version of something that you can turn tiny but see it says you gain the ability to become a tiny creature which means that you could not become a tiny creature but until keep, then. keep going with it though when you transform into a wild shape form you can make it tiny so but could you not make it tiny before no um let's see well i guess yeah i guess you can't uh small medium yeah. or large terrestrial animal yeah no you're right ah oh, crap see like this is again this is this is Again, something that it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous. And not only not only can you do that, you can only do it for 10 minutes, which is which is also ridiculous. You're taking away a huge amount of creativity, but you're putting it at a level that most of your official content doesn't even support. Most games do not get to let and this is this is also sad. This is also sad. And if Wizards is doing this because they want to start like they want to start actually supporting tier three and tier four content more officially. Heck yes. Give it to me. Give me more official support for high level content. But as of right now, most of their content caps out in the low teens. (laughs) So if you're playing an official module as a druid, a lot of times you won't even get to that point where you can turn into something tiny. And so just look- overall, it's just it's just very frustrating that like they they were shooting for something and they just missed the mark so much. And uh, so going through here, just uh, looking at tiny creatures, let's see the highest challenge rating tiny creature that is currently a beast in the monster manual is. There's OK, there is a tiny creature that is a level 12 challenge rating. Everything else is like zero to a quarter. Why can you not do that? Like what? Again, it feels like they're taking away the ability of the scouting and the, the hiding and that, that type of thing. And so again, it's, it's interesting. I, I remember. Oh yeah. One and, of the things. 
in, in this level 12 is it's a person who is uh, polymorphed into an otter. So it's not even an actual beast. Yeah. And so <laughs> I remember one of the things they talked about in that original video I talked about was that they were going to uh, be beefing up a lot of the higher CR stuff. That's going to be one of the things they're doing. Uh, it, what they talked about in one of the, the three videos they released. So I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that that means that we will see more tier three and tier four support. But again, that should not be a level 11 thing. That should just be a default thing. Well, and on top of that too, if I'm a wild shaped Druid, I'm not going to play tier three or tier four as a wild shaped Druid because I'm not, there's no, you, there's no reason to it. Yeah. Like that, it's at least as this is written, there's zero reason you're just to be casting spells at that point. That's all you're going to be doing. Yeah. yeah. The, ch the uses of your channel nature will be much better towards summoning a companion to help you, to give you like the help action. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the changes for find familiars is they do have an attack now, mm -hmm. an actual attack. It's not that much, but they do. Yeah, don't get super excited about it. <laughs> yeah, don't get super excited. But yeah, they, they do have a little bit of an attack now, but they can still use the help action and stuff. And at that point, it's going to be way more useful to use the healing portion of channel nature or the find familiar uh, or the animal companion portion of it than it is to use the wild shape most of the time. Um, and especially for Circle of the Moon, that's very disappointing considering what we already talked about, especially from the the elemental perspective yeah so again i don't want to beat this into the ground too much because we need to talk about the paladin because there's a lot more fun stuff to talk about that but overall i think this was honestly just a huge swing and a miss remember there's surveys to fill out after this testing session. please fill the survey out. i mean unless you really like it i mean give your feedback you know we don't want to influence you other than this is crap so just you know, give your feedback on, on if you like it, if you don't maybe offer some suggestions, something along those lines. Yeah. And like I said, we talked about a few of potential suggestions if they wanted to still go down this route. I, I feel like there there's a way to make it more accessible and still allow you to use stat blocks, whether mm -hmm. that's including a few sample stat blocks of each animal type in with the class in the player's handbook itself for easy accessibility. Uh, that is totally an option. And then if you want to go beyond those things, then you could look them up. But I, again, I, I feel like there there's definitely fixes you could do and keep the fun and keep the flavor that we currently have in, in 5e. Okay. Oh my gosh. I'm, I was looking at the find familiar stat block. And if I'm right, your familiar flies faster than, or no, it, it can walk faster than you in the very least. <laughs> you fly faster than it, but it walks faster than you. That's just weird. If you, if, if you choose it to be an, an, uh, you know, a familiar of the sky, I should say. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Let's move on to yeah. Paladin. Something fun. Let's move on to Paladin. Paladins. I think for the overall have gotten a lot of really cool changes. Yes. Um, the biggest one, uh, and there's a little give and take here, and I know some people won't be happy about it. And as a, as a DM, be honest, I'm on the side of players in this respect, but divine smite 
uh, can now only be cast once per turn. As a DM, so, I'm happy with that. As as a DM, I don't care because you're still using resources up, and I just, it, it's kind of fun to go Nova every once in a while. I do agree but with you on that. Re- regardless of that, <clears throat> regardless of that, you can only Divine Smite once per turn now. But they have really extended the usage of it to where it's not limited to weapons. You can range weapon divine mm-hmm. smite now. You can fist divine on un- unarmed, yeah, unarmed attack divine which smite is now. So cool, which is is very very cool. Um, like pick up the, the brawler feet, and then you have every makeshift weapon divine smited as well. Yeah, yeah. They have uh, given spell casting to paladins now from level one, which mm-hmm. uh, I highly, um, I highly applaud. That's that's fantastic because it was a little weird before not not getting that right away. Um, they've kind of condensed uh, channel divinity a little bit, like the the channel nature, and to where it now will be able to do more stuff, but they're also giving more uses. Yeah. Of it, which I, which again, I think it's cool. And we talked about this, I think it was last episode, um, where we, I was, I was saying there's not enough built into the class, like bonus action and reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the cool things, at least specifically for the pally, and I really hope they continue to keep that in mind. And not only from a spell perspective and not only from a, um, item perspective but from a base core class or subclass perspective build in more bonus actions and reactions so that you always have multiple things you can potentially do because i think that's just more fun and it makes your turn more interesting but uh most of the smites so you have your divine smite which is just your baseline which you use your spell slots for but then you have all these other types of like smites uh, that you used to have to basically use an action for to activate and then hold concentration on. Mm-hmm. They changed it. All those smites, like the thundering smite, the blinding smite, all those things, all those are now bonus actions. And you can activate them after you hit. Super, super cool. This is exactly so like, this is exactly the thing I was talking about wanting. All of a sudden now, your bonus action becomes much more interesting. Because if you just need to do raw damage, you divine smite. That's that's cool. Whatever. But if you want specific functions, now you have a list of several different types of smites that do different things that you use after you actually hit. And you can use your bonus action for instead of having to concentrate on them uh, or instead of having to use your action on them. So that is super, super cool. That's big, big thumbs up for me. Definitely. Um, anytime that you can, you know, use your full array of, of uh, your turn is just an, an actual plus and making it so that, um, you know, you can see if you hit first before you even cast the bonus action, I think is absolutely amazing because it, again, gives you more option, more play with what you can do. Um, like if you don't hit, you can use your, your, you know, maybe if you're doing two weapon fighting or something, use your bonus action for another attack if you need to, like an unarmed strike or something along those lines. And, uh, you know, b- bump your smite into that. <laughs> you know, the, the, it gives the paladin a lot more uh, to kind of play with. 
I, I'm I'm a big yeah. fan. I think it's great. Yeah, that that's that's super huge. Um, so yeah, I I think that that in and of itself is really big. One of the things I thought was kind of weird, and I don't know exactly why they did it, is they took away the extra damage that Divine Smite did to Undead. Oh, I didn't realize. Don't that. know why. Don't know why that was necessary. I think they should add it back in because that was kind of a cool, flavorful thing. Yeah, it makes that sense. Divine Smite did and makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, that that I just noticed that kind of weird. Um, I don't like that that piece of it. I think it should stay. Yeah, that's a cool extra thing. And if I'm hitting an undead with a divine smite, yeah, give me more d8s. We're mm-hmm. <laughs> we are rolling extra damage, baby. Um, I mean, so, it, it, it only makes sense. You know, it's an undead thing. It, they have a natural aversion to radiant damage. Makes makes tons of sense. Uh, one other cool thing they added in uh, uh, faithful steed to level five. This is a baseline paladin thing now. Super cool. So instead of having to use one of your precious spells on fine steed, you now get it baseline at level five, mm-hmm. which I think is super cool. There's new stat like generic stat blocks and see this is that's something that I think is great for a generic stat block. Yes. Then you can kind of flavor it how you want, but it's not your primary thing. It's just an extra thing. So you want to you can get a generic more generic template going for that type of thing. I think that's fine. Yeah. I did, again, you got to balance scaling it and so on and I think they probably need to refine the rules for mounted combat especially now if they're going to give all paladins a steed. Yeah. <laughs> Just line. I think they need to I think they need to do some work on on mounted combat as as a actual ruling but otherwise i think that's that's super cool that's uh that's a really fun uh that's a really fun thing that that you get to do uh they also changed the auras um yes so they changed them they they changed them a little bit it's not multiple auras you have a single aura and then they can potentially add stuff to it as you go uh so now it's only 10 feet um and then you and your eyes gain bonus to saving throws and this yeah level seven um equals your charisma modifier uh and then yeah as you go you can you get more aura stuff like level 13 you get aura of courage that allows your um uh, allows your you and your companions to be immune to the frightened condition but it's all the same aura uh and then level 17 or expansion extends to 30 feet rather than mm-hmm. 10 feet. They were talking about doing this so that they can play around with the aura stuff more and add to it um, more readily, making it kind of like a um, uh, more malleable, more like um, like a framework. So. Yeah, and it just gives them more options in the future, too, if they want to add to it. Instead of tacking on yet another aura or another aura on top of that, you know, they can uh, just kind of define what they want to give to it. And, uh, you know, it gives the subclasses a a potential to add to it as well, as opposed to, again, adding more auras on top of auras. Yeah, like um, uh, specifically the uh, Oath of Devotion, which is the subclass that is present in this UA. Uh, 10th level or of devotion, 
you uh you and your allies are now immune to charmed condition while in your aura of protection if a charmed ally enters the area that condition is suppressed while the ally is in there super cool or, or level 14 holy nimbus as a bonus action you can imbue your aura of protection with holy power the aura gains the following benefits for one minute or until you end them as a bonus action radiant damage whenever an enemy starts its turn in your aura they take radiant damage equal to your proficiency bonus plus charisma modifier Yay. sunlight the aura is filled with bright light so i like so that's like an example of a modifier for the baseline aura mm-hmm. in a subclass and that's cool that's super cool so i like it exactly i'm a big fan and i mean if you think about that too let's say you're a uh um oh the devotion paladin you're going through doing stuff uh you want to hit sunlight and oh that's right i'm level 17 now boom gigantic uh aura of sunlight just beaconing off of you it's pretty great especially for fighting vampires yeah yeah and just to kind of give an example so uh I wanted to kind of give an example of the smites. So like banishing smite, blinding smite, they're still, you know, third level spell, fifth level spell, mm-hmm. whatnot. But the casting time is a bonus action, which you take immediately after hitting a creature with a weapon or unarmed strike. Super cool. And it lasts for a minute and there's no concentration anymore. Yep. You just have to use the bonus action. So that's, again, I really, really like that. Super cool. We need more bonus actions. We need more reactions. Searing smite, uh, glimmering smite, so uh, staggering smite. So there's like five. That's five right there. Yeah, like you might talk actually about, use them. Yeah, talk about like more stuff to do. Super cool. I really like that. Um, anything, anything else on the paladin that really, really stood out? For the most part, like I'm, I'm A lot very of good changes. Very, very happy with it overall lots of uh lots of really good changes yeah i'm i'm happy with the paladin uh and it's so funny because it is it's like a complete 180 from the druid it's just okay here's some tweaks here's some good things and uh you know they they brought the power of the paladin down a little bit while also kind of raising it in other areas and i think it worked out pretty well for them yeah i i think so too i think it's uh i think it was very very well done. Yeah. Um, the only, the other weird thing, and I've seen people point this out uh, at level 11, you gain something called radiant strikes. Uh, and you're so suffused with divine might that your weapon carries supernatural power. And when you hit a target with an attack roll using a simple or martial weapon, the target takes an extra one D eight radiant damage. A lot of people were saying that's really weird. Why would you give divine smite? to your fists and range weapons and then radiant strike is just limited to weapons still so i'm hoping that's just an oversight hopefully um because again that paladin like monk kind of combo that you can do that you could do with the the unarmed strikes and stuff like that yeah super cool fantasy i I really like that definitely um Let's see what else. Uh, they did update some of the epic boons, uh, mainly ones that uh, basically allow you to uh, go over the 20 stat cap, mm-hmm. which is cool. But again, I want more interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah. There's items that do that. There's items that do that. Uh, 
cool, but I, I when I when I think of Epic Boon, I want I think of something. Here's a really cool thing that you can do that's just like active and as a big dramatic effect. Okay. Because you're level 20 at this point. Like, give people cool stuff. <laughs> the game is not balanced at this point. Give people cool stuff. I That's agree. all I have to say on that. Totally agree. Um, I know we touched on a few of the different things. Uh, they do have uh, change logs now for the rules glossary, which is which is kind of kind of cool. Um, I like that they are adding in more stuff uh, to let you know what is changing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The biggest things, the biggest things I saw that I wanted to kind of highlight first, the cantrip spare the dying. Uh, This now you touch a creature that has the dying condition. The creature regains one hit point. Again, I, I know I've I've kind of ranted about this before. There are so many ways to get people back up from unconscious. So many ways. Now yeah. we gave a one hit point thing to a cantrip. Yeah. That's about it. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's 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 I think it's one of those things where it was a special spell that basically preserved the body. Yeah, I think so that it works you, you way die. more. Yeah, I think it it's way cooler that way. Yeah, and as a cantrip though, I mean, if you think about it, you you've got a cleric and a fighter. You're level one. Fighter goes in for attack, gets dropped. You walk over, spare the dying. Stands back up, gets ready to fight, gets dropped. Spare the dying. It's a cantrip. Gets back up, ready to fight. That I, yeah, that it just I I foresee so many scenarios of the the, the pop up. Pop up, mm-hmm. pop down, pop up, pop down, and it's a freebie. Um, so yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan of that. Uh, and then the other big thing is they changed. Uh, we already talked about exhausted, which has ten subsequent levels now that just basically give you a negative one and negative two and so on, depending on the level to basically everything. I think that's more interesting uh, or easier to track at the very least and less punishing and more and allows you to more readily be able to use that condition than the current thing. I know some people will probably disagree with me on that, but um, I've kind of switched over to that rule in my games. I like it better and I like it better. Yeah, they did change. uh, They did encompass a few different things. So there is now a dying condition. When a player character drops to zero hit points, the character has the dying condition, which replaces the following rules in the player's handbook. Falling unconscious, death saving throws, and stabilizing a creature. So they kind of wrapped all those up into one condition called dying. But basically, when you have zero hit points, uh, you hit the dying condition. And if you regain any while dying, the condition ends. Uh, You also have the unconscious condition. At the start of each turn, you do your death saving throws. And then once you get three of either uh, or you die, it's the same thing. If you roll one, it counts as two. If you roll 20, you regain one hit point. I think basically they they just kind of rolled it all up into a single definition. It's all pretty much the same exact uh, things that we're used to already. Yeah. 
Yeah, they even uh, I just about, yeah, wanted to take damage and and this and that and yeah, it, it's all in there. Yeah. So again, uh, those were kind of the things that stood out to us in the UA, uh, and we wanted to go over this because uh, this this is a big deal. This is the next edition, and a lot of people will decide whether they, especially now with Five E being in Creative Commons, they're competing against themselves. In a lot of ways. Uh, so if we want to move on to this next edition, we want to use this next edition, they they need to sell it. It needs to be interesting. It needs to be fun. Um, and I think there's a lot of good and then a lot of not as good in yeah. this. So make sure you fill out your surveys. But those are those are those are our opinions. I definitely on, will on this stuff. All right, cool. So moving on a little bit, we're going to talk uh, for just just briefly uh, about some backstory stuff, Uh, specifically integrating backstories into modules and homebrew. Uh, This is something we've touched on before, but a couple couple times in in various ways, in various ways. But we wanted to kind of cover this now because I've gotten feedback from several DMs uh, that come and it's just like, I'm having a lot of trouble integrating my character's backstory or my character has this backstory that doesn't seem to fit into into the world at all. Um, and so. Ben, do you want to do you want to kick us off? What what are your kind of thoughts on that when? You're starting a new campaign. You get all your characters' backstories, and the, the, there's two different things. We you got we're talking about modules, so this is like mm-hmm. a pre-made module. It doesn't have to be a fish any module that someone has written, where it's like here's the beginning, here's the ending of it, and here's the stuff in between, and it's kind of it's more self-contained story. And then you have the homebrew, where it's just like I've made a world. I don't necessarily have a super grand plan where I might have an inkling of it, but we're just going to go and see what happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the easiest thing to talk about is the homebrew, but we'll, we'll get to that just because it's, it's a lot easier to deal with. Um, when you're looking at a module and you have a player that comes up to you with a backstory, you kind of have to pick and choose what you're going to pull from it. Um, like let's say uh, just uh, parents were killed when their town was raided. They're out adventuring to, you know, kind of seek their fortune or, or, or whatever. Easiest thing to do, change the name of the bad guy of the module so that it's like the leader of the, the pack of people who came and, and uh, you know, d- destroyed the town, you know, look for any sort of, of, threads or ties or anything that you can do that's in the module and start kind of linking them up uh, to whatever backstories that you have. If you're able to, uh, you know, change the names of locations or something, go ahead and do that. If you're able to, um, you know, kind of alter events in the module, which I mean, you can do, you can change everything in a module if you want to um, all up until the very last word in, in the book. Um, you know, alter what you can to make it fit 
whether it's uh, you know a, a town or a city or something that isn't mentioned in the module, make it part of the world. If um, you know your your character seeking revenge, just randomly put that character somewhere in the module so that you can kind of stumble upon them, or um, you know make them a, an NPC in a in a in a random tavern or something so you can kind of just find them there. You know they don't have to be a huge integral part of the story because. You know, we don't want like the Skywalker saga where every single person is the the biggest, hugest, you know, uh, person who's linked to, you know, the Jedi uh, or, you know, the chosen one or something like that. No, we, we don't need that. That could be fun. You know, if, if you want to have uh, your characters, your, your player characters going through like, you know, they're really big heroes journeys or something like that. But you don't have to do that. It can be just as simple as your estranged mother is the barmaid in this town that you're sneaking into to um, get information to, uh, you know, work on the heist that's that you're being paid to do to, to steal a, you know, an artifact or something like that. There's so many different ways that you can just kind of like pick pieces out of that backstory and just kind of just drop them in somewhere in the module. (coughs) Doesn't have to be this grandiose thing. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's just the the biggest thing is is flexibility when you're when you're running a module and trying to integrate backstories. And this is something that you can also try and take care of in your session zero if you run a session zero, which of course Ben and I uh, heartily uh, approve of mm-hmm. and recommend. You definitely. Do. Because uh, number one, it can be great for you as a DM to give backstory of what this module is and what types of things you might be doing. Uh, Especially because in normal circumstances, you don't necessarily want the players to read through through the module or know a ton about the module uh, if possible before you start it. Uh, But also, it'll allow you to give potential uh, like backstory points uh guilds organizations uh characters uh that you could the players could link their um characters to uh that sort of thing yeah so that you you don't want to go through a session zero and just have one of your players say hey can i make the guy in chapter seven have the sword that was stolen from my family when i was a kid it's like "Mm, i mean sure if you want but let's let's forget about the module yeah (laughs) um so yeah there's there's a lot of different ways that you can still work in backstories that players want their characters to have while still maintaining the module but at the same time too especially if it's a shorter module now, if you if you're planning a module that's going to last a long time, integrating player backstories will probably be a little more important. If you're playing something that's for eight, 12 sessions, the player backstories and fully integrating them might not be as important as mm-hmm. just getting from the start to the end. So you're going to have to kind of gauge whether like how worth it is it to go deep depending on the length of the campaign uh, you're playing and the allotted time you have. 
Yeah. And, and uh, on top of that too, if you are playing a, a, you know, kind of a shorter campaign, maybe 10 to 12 sessions, like you said, if everybody's enjoying it and having a good time, then build the backstories into the next campaign because you spend a lot of time getting to know the characters. They're actually, you know, kind of caring about each other so that they're more prone to, you know, dig into the other players' backstories without, you know, making it, uh, well, what about me? What's going on with me? Um, they're going to have, you know, just the care of one another to really take that step forward to start exploring it because they know them as a person. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a huge thing. Uh, especially if you are planning to have a longer term campaign, don't be afraid to take your time. You don't need to throw everyone's full on backstories into the story in the first two sessions or four sessions or 10 sessions or even 20 sessions. You mm -hmm. don't don't rush it. One of the, one of the, one of the, I, I, I don't necessarily want to say one of the worst things you can do because it, it, it sometimes can work out. One of the hardest things you can do is throwing in a bunch of backstory or stuff from the characters past in the beginning that they want to chase, but that the other players may not want to do or may not care about mm -hmm. at all, because then it can lead to either a very unfocused campaign, especially if you introduce a bunch of the backstory stuff early on, because then everyone's trying to go their own way. No one wants to do the other person's thing because they don't care about the other person that much because they just met them a week ago. Mm -hmm. So it's honestly usually a better policy to not rush, establish the group, do things away from the players' backstories that have a shared objective and shared motives so that you can help bring the players' characters together as a group before you start tackling things that will be important to the player characters because once the group is established and once they care about each other, then it will be a lot easier for them to care about a specific player's backstory. Plus during that time that you're building up, you can also just start dropping in little tiny hints, you know, don't make it a big focus, make it just a, a mention maybe here or there or something along those lines. And then that way, you know, it, 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 grows the world a little bit, but it doesn't take the focus off of the adventure that you're currently on. Yeah. If you want to think of it as like a three act play, um, which is in some ways how I think of a lot of my campaigns when I'm doing, you got your beginning, middle end. It's a very, it's a very common literary tool. Uh, you see this in movies all the time, the mm -hmm. trilogies, that sort of thing in the beginning. It's establishment get to know each other. It's uh, get some, some ground under your feet, get some notoriety uh, as a group. The middle, the group cares about each other. They have some notoriety. They have some resources. Start tackling those backstories. Mm -hmm. uh, they can be standalone. They can be woven into a grander, greater plot that is, is forming depending on what goes on. You can really start weaving those things in, in that middle section. And then that last section 
is wrapping up anything from a backstory perspective that's left over and then focusing and wrapping up whatever that grand overarching villain or that grand overarching story is going to be. And it may be something you've been building up or it may have uh, stemmed or grown from one of the player's backstories. Yeah. And that, that may end up being the final big thing. Uh, But that's the like act two, act three kind of meshing into each other. Uh, But I think the most important part is in that first one establishment is just so key. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I got to say, I I had um, some pretty big backstory stuff kind of hit at the end of uh, my, um, you know, second arc of my campaign. And it, it worked really well. I was able to kind of pull from the beginning, you know, give a slow build up to it and do exactly like you said, you know, put everything in, kind of get the focus in. And you're right. Everybody did care about the other players um, characters just because, you know, they've, they've traveled together. They've done things together. They bled for each other. And it was a pretty great successful conclusion to uh, some of those, those stories. I was really happy with them and the players were too. It was a lot of fun. Good. Yeah. Uh, so that, I, that, and that's kind of it, right? Uh, that's especially for modules. That's a very strong thing to do in mm-hmm. homebrew. You just have a lot more flexibility. You yeah. can create and not that you can't necessarily do this for modules, but a lot of times people run modules because a lot of the prep work is done for them. Yes. And so they may not be looking to do a whole lot of extra stuff or create a whole lot of extra homebrew things. Some people do, and that's totally fine. Some people it's like, I'm going to use the module as my launching point and then build a whole bunch of stuff off of that. But a lot of times people run a module because from a prep perspective, prepping as a DM is, is hard. It's a lot of work. It really is. And running a straight module can take a lot of that prep work off your plate because a lot of it is done for you. And so when you're doing a homebrew thing, you have a lot more flexibility because you can create those organizations. You can create those backgrounds. You can create those characters in a much more natural organic sense than necessarily you can as a module. So it's, it is certainly easier from a backstory perspective, but I think all the same tips apply Mm -hmm. as far as that act one, act two, act three. Definitely type mindset. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what are your tips for integrating character back <laughs> character <laughs> backstories? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Send them to us at dndiscussions at gmail.com. I thought you were asking me again. I'm like, I just told you, Ryan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I <laughs> sorry, it's been a long day. Send, Don't mind me. You do not have to send an email, uh, Ben. Okay. Thankfully, I appreciate we that. have thankfully we have ready ready access to you at all times. Yeah, just rewind a little bit if you want to hear my answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so moving on a little bit uh, before we kind of wrap things up, just some supplemental talking points. Uh, one really big interesting thing that I I thought was super cool. Uh, Demiplane, which we've talked about before. It's the D. D&D Beyond like site. Yes. Uh, right now, it's uh, got a lot of tools for helping you set up, run, and find games. 
it is doing or it is working towards doing what D&D Beyond does, uh, but in a much broader framework for a wide variety of tabletop RPGs, from you know, Pathfinder to Adventures League stuff to Avatar uh, tabletop RPG and such. Uh, the one thing they did not have currently was something for 5e. They actually just recently announced, maybe like uh, roughly a week ago now, that they are going to create a 5e Nexus, which is kind of their their brand for the the different spinoffs, you know, Pathfinder Nexus, mm-hmm. Starfinder Nexus, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, this is really interesting, and I feel like this probably stems from 5e SRD going Creative Commons because they they very pointedly did not say they are going to have a 5e Nexus that's going to have all the official 5e books. In fact, they very specifically said they are going to support 5e base content so they'll have they're going to do like the whole kit and caboodle uh character creator mm-hmm. for all the base 5e content that's in the creative commons which is which is super cool but they pointedly said they are going to support third party content which is for amazing. 5e on their site which is absolutely amazing so think it like think of like uh kobold press like settings uh all the monster books, uh, all the, the tomes of magic, all those sort of things in a D and D beyond like format. Oh, that's, uh, that's really cool. Uh, and it's, it's in, in some ways will serve a completely different purpose. And again, we don't know what wizards plans are. I think wizards would be foolish not to open D and D beyond for one D and D to third parties Mm -hmm. to make and add their content to it. I think that would be very foolish, but even if they don't Demi plane is going to. So if you are running, wanting to run a game, that's just the baseline stuff. So like, you know, no Tasha's no Xanathar's that type of thing. But if you're wanting to run third party specific content, third party specific modules and have all those options available uh just directly in there but you want that digital format they're going to offer that so if you want to run something just using the midgard stuff you'll have your baseline 5e srd which is the the foundation for everything but then mm-hmm. all those classes slash subclasses um Beats, spells, everything for Kobold Press stuff available for people to use to create their character. That's so pretty cool. I think I think it's super cool. I think it's super cool that they're doing that. And in some ways, in doing this, they're kind of like, you know, throwing down the gauntlet mm-hmm. for wizards and going, if you don't support third party content for your new thing, we're gonna support it for 5e. And again, you're having to compete against yourself now that 5e is in Creative Commons. And so if there is a digital tool set that does as much stuff and runs as well as D&D Beyond or better, 
but has all this third-party content and the only thing it's lacking is the official stuff, that's going to be really tempting for people to just stay in, on 5e. Honestly, in a lot of ways. So it'll. I'm, I'm glad they're doing this. Competition is good, and it'll be really interesting to see what they do. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, it, it's groundbreaking potentially. Yeah, yeah. This is this is huge. This is huge because while there is Roll Twenty and there is Foundry that do have some five E character sheets, and Roll Twenties has gotten some better. Nothing comes close, in my opinion, to D and D Beyond's. accessibility ease of use um the ui just very streamlined so if they can do something similar to that for 5e and slash everything else uh they have a pathfinder version of that out right now i think that'll be a huge huge win uh also as our community content shout out i wanted to shout out uh beth the bard's current kickstarter uh beth the bard has done several different things on dm's guild and she has done the very popular she is the ancient which is kind of a gender bend version of curse of strahd that you can you can get and take and um it kind of flips curse of strahd a little bit on its head you use it in conjunction with the official module okay uh, but it is an incredibly popular uh bestseller on dm's guild she's doing something uh holy standalone now called uh daughter of frankenstein and it's a uh narrative uh 5e compatible narrative tabletop rpg adventure mystery classic body horror supernatural science and industrial disaster uh and this is currently kickstarting right now so if that genre is kind of your thing uh this could be a potentially very fun campaign to grab and run in a in a unique setting that is not covered as much from a 5e perspective that just kind of going through this and looking at it it's got some really cool stuff already yeah yeah the i I love i love a lot of the art i love a lot of the the narrative uh tools uh the mystery the puzzles i know we just got a heist book which is which Mm -hmm. is super cool um but i i think mystery mystery modules mystery campaigns are super cool as players slowly discover stuff throughout throughout playing uh so i really like those type of things so i wanted to shout that out because it is currently being kickstarted it's got 22 days to go as of this recording we will have a link to it in the show notes on dndiscussions.com so definitely check that out if that sounds like it might be up your alley will do because yeah this is this is really neat Ooh, if you donate 500 or if you do kickstart for 500, uh, you can be a prominent NPC. Ooh, prominent NPC. You know I'll what? Go, I'll, I'll have to go find, I'll, I'll have to go look through my couch and see if I can find $500 and change. Ryan, you're my prominent NPC. Oh, thanks, Ben. You're my prominent NPC. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, it looked really cool. Yeah, it looked really cool. It's uh, it's a little over halfway to its funding goal. Um, still got 22 days left. Yeah, so you could you could help get that uh, onto onto the funding uh, on its way to being funded and get a potentially really cool module. 
So definitely check that out. And then at last, of course, as always, uh, we usually end off things by talking about what we've done in our game. So Ben, have you, have you done, have you gotten to do any of the D and D's? Yeah, we, we, we got to do a session. So, um, the last session that we had, you know, we found out that Herman, the German shepherd, uh, the magical shop owner, uh, was attacked. I love that character so much. He's, he's great. He's a good boy. Um, yeah. And <laughs> so he, I, I just got to tell you, I, something came up with on the fly, which was fun was, um, my players or the, the player characters, they, they, they ask consent if they can pet him and he says, yes. And, you know, he's a dog, gets joy from it. So then he asks consent if he can pet them. And, you know, he's, he has mage hand and just scratches him behind the ears and stuff. So uh, as they're as they're going through and, you know, um, saying goodbye, because uh, they're, they're, they're finally leaving Trademark. They're going on adventures, going to go plane hopping. Um, so, you know, they say goodbye to him and everything. And it was great. Absolutely fantastic. Um, let's see. the So they've been going through collecting these relics of creation. Uh, one of the dwarves from, uh, Dil Ulam, which is, uh, one of the, the, the contingencies that are, uh, contingents that came from, uh, you know, another part of the world for this trade summit, this dwarf comes up and drops a bombshell that he's been having these, you know, dreams from, from Morden, the God telling him to collect a hammer from these people. <laughs> so they're like, really? So they spent all this time questing and gathering this relic. And he just walks up and asks for it. Cause you know, he, he finally got his calling for it. And so, you know, they checked him, did a good insight check, asked some questions and stuff. So, you know, now, uh, there's three good people who have these, uh, God chosen relics. They're their champions for their God. And yeah, it's a good thing. Um, our, our sorcerer told the group about the dream that she had um, and was correct that Matilda, the magic shop owner from the, the first area, the first region that they came from, um, she was the one who she saw in the vision. So uh, her adventuring party had been, uh, well, you know, adventuring, doing stuff. The the warlock of the group, though, uh, he was getting kind of getting a little too big for his britches thought that he'd be able to summon a pit fiend and control it. And turns out he wasn't able to pit fiend got really mad, ended up uh, slaughtering pretty much the entire adventuring party, except for Matilda, who was able to uh, finally banish it back to the nine hells. Um, but before it left, it, it took a pendant from, from Matilda's wife. And they think that might be the next where one of the next relics they need to go for. So, um, Currently, Matilda is uh, researching uh, about the nine hells and trying to, you know, come up with any sort of uh, edge that they could possibly have. So because she wants to go with them to, you know, kind of finish what she started. But in the meantime, uh, they decided to go where the the bard's relic is supposed to be, which is Isgard, which is a really cool place where, you know, it's uh, not exactly Valhalla, but, uh, you know, think of it as like um, the, the planes of heroism where there's, you know, a constant, uh, eternal battle, you know, fighting and stuff, which is kind of cool and going on. Um, you know, heroes of old go there to, you know, kind of test their metal against, you know, like, like dragons and giants and just all this other cool stuff. Um, if you die there, you get resurrected the next day, you know, with no harm, no foul and stuff. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is going to be a really great place to go. So, uh, 
my my bard has this this thing made out of uh, planium, which is the really stupid name that I gave this or like this rare ore that is attuned to all planes of existence. And uh, she actually had commissioned Herman to make a tuning fork out of it so that they can use it to, you know, actually jump planes. And he enchanted it with the plane shift spell. So basically she's got this cool tuning fork that lets them, you know, jump different planes because no one can cast the spell yet. So I'm like, well, you got to figure out a way to do this. So I'm like, this will be fun. Here's the thing though. She can't natively cast a seventh level spell, which is plane shift. So, um, I wrote into it. It's like, okay, you know, here's, here's your difficulties is what you need to do and blah, 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 blah. Um, long story short, I wrote it horribly, like absolutely horribly. Um, my actual intention of what I wanted did not come through with what I wrote. Cause I was really tired when I wrote the description and D and D beyond and all that stuff. But I've, I've since gone through and, and cleaned it up and it works really well. So the idea is, is that if you can't cast a level seven spell, you roll a D 10 intelligence. If you, if you succeed, you cast the spell. If you don't, the, the charges used for the day can't do it again. Have to wait till the next day for it to recharge. But if you do cast the spell, that's when you roll a D 100 and from a one to 20, you're just sent somewhere, just anywhere in the multiverse. If it's 20 to 60, you are at a random uh, uh, place on the plane that you intended. And then uh, 60 to 100, or maybe it's it's uh, 20 to 80. I forget, whatever. Anyways, uh, so then top end, you're, you know, where you intended to go. So, of course, you know, she she uh, rolled, successfully cast a spell, which was great. And then botched the follow-up roll to anywhere in the multiverse. Oh, no. Yes. So I'm like, okay, wasn't expecting this. This is cool. We're going to have some fun with this. So I went ahead and pulled up just the list of the different planes and everything rolled for it. And, uh, they landed and, uh, the place where they are, like the ground, the foliage, the mountains in the distance, everywhere around them is all metal. It's everything's just made of metal. There are these like circles and cubes just kind of all around. And one of them kind of, opened up an eye and stood up and said, huh, you look kind of funny. And then that's where we ended it. They have no idea where they are. And I am so excited for our next session. Wow. What a, what a cliffhanger. Oh yeah. And the thing is, is uh, that they've used the charge. They've got at least a day until they can cast it again to get out of there. So who knows what's going to happen? It's no place that's too dangerous. Who knows? I do. But who knows? I'm excited to find out next time. It'll be good. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. Um, how about you though? What what have you been up to? Um, honestly, not too much. Uh, we are both the campaigns took a a session hiatus. Mm-hmm. So, starting back up with my first one this coming Sunday. Uh, it's the it's probably gonna be a shorter one. Okay. Uh, there. Are, they're very much in planning mode because uh, they're basically about to execute whatever plan they come up with that will culminate this big Shadowfell arc. Mm-hmm. Like whatever they decide to do, it's going to be something big is going to happen. Uh, so 
we're basically going to have the next session to plan out slash light the fuse Ooh. in in many ways uh both figuratively and potentially literally <laughs> uh <laughs> depending on what goes on and then we are planning for and hopefully it will work out uh a big in-person all-day session oh that sounds like fun to as a culminate to whatever the result is going to be whatever potential big fight Mm -hmm. uh, is going to happen. So I'm very excited to see because we've been basically playing in a mini sandbox the last several sessions of this Shadowfell city. So I'm very excited to see what direction they go to try and uh, convince Ranger's mom to help them rescue her dad, potentially uh, depose evil grandma uh, who has a hold on this whole thing. And they still got this in, in game terms, mini boss that they did not take care of that is out there and around uh, that. They have to be very careful <laughs> about um not making sure that the confrontation does not happen at the same same time. Uh, So yeah, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of really interesting things and a lot of ways it could go. So I'm very excited to see where that one goes. And then on the flip side of the other campaign that is going to start back next Friday, they are planning a revolution in small scale. Um, They're going to be, trying to weaken the power base. Uh, It's a little more political type of game. So they're going to be trying to weaken the power base of this large house that is kind of uh, on the front end of everything right now and is trying to siphon and take all the power for themselves away from from these other ruling major and minor houses. Uh, So they they are currently working and planning with another minor house to make that first move uh, and kind of, again, throw down the gauntlet in a lot of ways to see what they can do. So I'm very excited to get back to, to both. It's been a nice little creative uh, break. And uh, <clears throat> I'm sure we'll talk about, I don't, I don't uh, we talked a little bit long time ago about burnout, mm-hmm. um, but it, it is good to take little breaks every once in a while uh, to recharge your creative batteries, especially if you're running a homebrew campaign. Cause as we talked about, um, there's a lot more prep, a lot more, mm-hmm. a lot more work in the part of a homebrew campaign versus just like a straight, straight running a module. So uh, it's, it's good to do every once in a while, but I'm very excited to get back to it. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, we're, we're delaying a couple of weeks for some, some, uh, real life stuff, but thank goodness because we went to a plane of existence that I wasn't prepared for. So I get the need for that sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, well, very cool. I, I'm glad that you're going to be able to kind of, uh, or you, you've had a, a bit of a break to kind of really re-energize a little bit, figure out kind of what's going on. And, uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what's going to happen. Because I mean, especially with that Shadowfell one, that that's been going on for a bit here, and yeah, this is cool stuff it's, going. It's a it's a big deal. It's it's a, definitely a big deal. Well, that is it for us. Um, 
again, I am I'm very excited about uh, what we're doing. I'm excited about the future of D and D as we as we continue to look through, and uh, we will get probably uh, several drops of Unearthed Arcana. Um, and as always, again, there are some things we're going to be more critical on than others, but there are a lot of really good smart designers over there at the wizard studio. Yes. So make sure that we leave your constructive feedback uh, for any, any times that you think they may have just gotten one wrong because it's, it happens to everybody sometimes. And we will probably, we actually are going to talk about that as one of our main topics next episode when you get stuff wrong. Cause boy, Ben and I have gotten some stuff wrong. Before. Speaking of the tuning fork, that's going to, I'm going to totally bring that up. He <laughs> <laughs> got a little preview of that. Yeah. So it, it, that should be, that should be a good discussion because uh, we learn, you can, we can learn a lot from our failures exactly. and they are, they are going to happen even to those of us who have been doing this for, for quite a while. Like even Michael Jordan dropped the ball every now and then. It's true. True. I'm assuming so. I didn't watch his career a whole lot, but I mean, even Michael Jordan has missed some shots. There you go. <laughs> That's much better. I know that has happened. <laughs> well, no, you know what? I'll say he probably has dropped the ball quite a bit because, you know, he did baseball for a while, too. So yeah, yeah I heard he wasn't super true. great at it. That's true. That's true. All right. Uh, well, with that, <laughs> that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And Ben, uh, real quick, why don't you tell everybody where we can be reached? You bet. Um, if you want to share with us some of your thoughts on the Druids or uh, you have any uh, cool stuff that you want to uh, just kind of throw our way, which uh, speaking of, we got a good email on that we will probably address next uh, episode with. Um, go ahead and send those to dndiscussions at gmail.com. Uh, if you're looking for something a little more short form, you can find us on Twitter. We are at dndiscussions. Ryan himself is at tbkzord. I am at Ben Bumhofer. And uh, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to of DN Discussions and you're all, well, golly gee, this is pretty great. Guess what? Every other episode is available online already on dndiscussions.com, as well as wherever your favorite uh, podcast platform of choice is. Now, if you want to hear us actually playing a game, check out Plus 5 to Hit. Uh, we're continuing our Rhyme of the Frost Maiden campaign and uh, having a lot of fun with that. So definitely check that out. Uh, but besides that, everybody, thank you very much for joining us. Ryan, it is always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, everybody, hit those uh, surveys once they come back. And until next time, be good to each other. Take care, and we'll see you soon.